Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. show episode number six this one i'm excited for first of all my name is matt garland nmls number five eight seven zero zero better known as mg the mortgage guy and my name is kiana watson kiana watson is my name okay i'm a atlanta real estate <laughs> broker here in the metro atlanta area my license number is three one seven five seven six look aisha selden is in the building man aisha how are you today I'm good. I feel like I need some name numbers after my name. I, Aisha Selden, two one five. Straight up. You can run down the checks if you want to, but you know we know you're not gonna do that. So look, first of all, um, you know I like to ask a question when we start our shows, and I'm gonna ask you the same question I asked Doug last week. When did you fall in love with real estate? I fell in love with real estate as a teenager reading Toni Morrison books. Like, and it's crazy, like, if, you go, if you've read Toni Morrison, go back and reread her. She, like, way ahead of her time. This woman in Sula and Song of Solomon was talking about the importance of land and ownership and owning shit. Mm. Like, it's, it's, it's crazy. Like, the, the characters that we looked at, um, the, the father in Song of Solomon, he was, he was, he was a, he, like, he owned properties. Like he, and he was looked at like the town asshole. Um, but owning land was so important, and they lived at like the top of the hill that they called the bottom, right? If you know Song of Solomon, and one of the things she talked about, and Tony wrote this book, like 
Miss Morrison, um, wrote this book back in what the early seventies, mid seventies. She talked about how black people who lived at this on top of this hill wanted to get out of the hill because they wanted to be down in the valley where white people were. Mm. And they were so pressed about getting out of land that they owned. And then they moved down to the valley finally. But then the land that was the most valuable was up in the hill, right? So that's when I fell in love with real estate. Like just hearing as a 14, 15, 16 year old, this woman's on to something, right? So I remember we lived in a hood. Um, and the reason I say that like, if I can do this, anybody can do this. My mom was 16 when she had my sister. She was 19 when she had me. My first home was in Passchunk Homes, the projects in South Philly. Right? So I'm not a suburban kid. Right? I grew up, literally, when I say mud to millions, I mean that shit. Right? So um, we, we grew up, my mom, she put herself through um, nursing school. She went to Temple University. She became a registered nurse. She had a great support system. My grandmother um, watched my sister and I because my mom was, was basically a teenager, like raising kids. I mean, she's, you know, we were all raising each other. It's like funny looking at pictures of my mom with us as kids, it's like three fucking kids. Like, wow, wow. we were all children, <laughs> literally. Um, so we, we moved to a house in South Philly that, that back then we called Saigon. My mom bought a house, it was a low income home. She paid 30,000 for it, 25,000, 30,000 for it. Um, got it through a grant program. And if you know South Philly, this area of Saigon, right, right between 12th and Christian and, and Catherine, we were relatively close to downtown Philly. Like we, we always walked to downtown Philly, but it was still hood. Like right around the corner was a high rise project. We were like rich in the neighborhood because we had a car, we had like an in-house laundry. So we were like the rich kids in the hood, but we still ain't had nobody, right? Yeah. Um, and, and I remember telling my mom, because she was thinking about selling the house, I remember telling my mom, I said, mom, I, like don't sell this house. I think it's gonna be worth something at some point. Right, like me, like 15 year old, 16 year old me who was reading Tony Morrison, by the time I get, uh, to college, we were moving to Germantown where we could uh, get a bigger house. My mom had gotten married and, and we had step, she had stepkids and, and um, we needed more space. And I remember telling her like, I think this is gonna be worth something someday. Like it's, it's rough now, right? But I don't think it's always gonna be that way, right? And in my mind, I'm thinking of the bottom that Tony Morrison talked about, right? At some point, this is gonna be worth some stuff, right? Um, my mom sold that house for 40000 in 1998, and within like a couple of years, the value started escalating, right? It started gentrifying. They knocked down the high-rise project around the corner, and they built green space. We never hit no fucking parks. I have, like, <laughs> I literally have. That's when you know your own Listen, something. Yeah, when you see yeah. the parks coming, watch out. Listen, so I, I tell people all the time, and people, like, because I talk, my, my Twitter bio is, is very simple. It's anti-poverty. Right, because I still have the physical manifestation, the, the physical manifestations of, of poverty. Still, like are, on one foot, I got to burn. This foot, I got to scold because when you, if you live in the projects back in like the seventies, eighties, the water was so hot. Yeah. If you turned it on, like my aunt went to grab me a towel. There was no water in the, in the tub. She went to grab me a towel. I turned on the water, scalded my foot. We had no green space. So one day I'm sitting at the fire hydrant. You know, that's because what you did. You played in the fire hydrant as a kid. Yes. And I'm sitting on the side of the curb, and the kid rides, rides over my, fo my foot with a bike. So like, like this foot, I've got like, you know, tire tracks, literally still, right? Wow. So, you know, when I hear people say things like, you know, um, I love the struggle, Fuck that. You are. That's a fact. No. Yeah. No. I, well, I will never glorify poverty. It's not a badge of honor. It's not where we're meant to be. Facts. Right? It's not for us. It's not, it's not beautiful. Right? Like I, like, I love to hear how someone came from where they were. And, and do I, is that a beautiful story of I came from here and I got here? That's a wonderful story. That's a beautiful thing. What I'm never going to do is glorify the struggle right? Glorify poverty. It is not for us, right? It is a system that put us there intentionally, yeah, but that's, that's you know, that's we'll probably get to that, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah we're going to get to that. So, um, 
So my mom sold this house. And I remember thinking, like, all right, you know, all right, it is what it is. I was probably 19 at the time when she sold it. I was just starting my um, freshman or sophomore year at Temple University um, as a business major. And shortly after that, started seeing the prices elevate, prices elevate, prices elevate. That house that she sold for 40000 within, like, maybe five, ten years was worth about a half a million bucks. And as, it, wow. as was condition. And she sold it for how much? She sold it for forty grand. And I remember thinking, so here's w- here's when it hit me. Um, it hit me when it do- it dawned on me, forty grand. How much of a mortgage is that, right? I'm asking MG the mortgage guy. You know exactly what that is. That's probably like two hundred bucks. It dawned on me that working as a bank teller in college, I could have bought that bitch. That's a fact. Right? I could have bought it. And and when that hit me, like. That was that, like you know, if my mom was scared because she was scared to be strapped with two mortgages. You know, she's not she's she's not a you know a business like she's a nurse. She's a you know she's she is a beautiful person. She's she a worker. Yeah, she doesn't think the way I think, right? So when it dawned on me that nineteen year old me should have bought that house and that was like a legacy that still should have been in my bloodline, blew my mind. And I said, you know what? I'm never gonna let that happen again. Like so revenge season for me was I'm going to go back to my neighborhood. So so when I when I started when I started going revenge back season listen like it that. was it was on and mother f and popping, right? So I went back to when I first started getting heavy into real estate, I wanted to go back to the exact same neighborhood that I lost money on, right? Because it, when I say lost money, it was sold, right? It was no longer ours. So I went back to that neighborhood. I couldn't afford it. Right. I was I was I, I went through Temple. I graduated. I became a licensed stockbroker. My first year out of, out of college, I was making I made like 50 grand. Second year out, I made like close to 100 grand. And I was like, all right, I'm ready to, uh, you know, I thought I was balling. 20, 23, 24 years old. I was making six figures already. And I was like, all right, I'm going to go back to that hood and I'm going to start buying stuff. And I was like, damn, I can't afford my the, the neighborhood I grew up in, the streets I walked every single wow. day. I can't afford it. Right, and I remember thinking, you know what? I'm never gonna let somebody tell me that the neighborhood is worthless. Mm. Right? I'm not gonna let somebody tell me that again. So I, I just said, you know what? I'm no. Ro-. And when I tell y'all if I can do this shit, y'all can because I'm no rocket scientist. I started thinking like, let me just go a few blocks further south. Can I afford there? No, that's still expensive. So let me just go a few blocks further south. And if you know South Philly, you then eventually, from Christian, you eventually hit this major street called Washington Avenue. And here's what people were telling me. Black people, white people, everybody. So I was, I was a stockbroker at this point. So my white colleagues were like, I don't know about that. It sounds kind of hood to me. <laughs> but but low-key, black people were like, mm, I wouldn't go there either. Like, mm, that ain't, that's kind of ghetto, girl. Ain't nobody going to live there, right? Yeah. So I remember thinking, fuck y'all, right? Oh, y'all. Right? Because somebody told my mom the same thing. And it kept yeah. her head up, right? Yeah. So I said they said, Don't go south of Washington. And I said, you know what? Okay. I'm gonna go south of Washington. I'm gonna go south of Washington. Just because they told you not to. Just because they said don't go south of Washington. And and most people are broke, right? So with the same yeah. stuff that most people tell you, do it anyway, right? So I said, I'm gonna go south of Washington. That's a gym right there. That's Hold a on. Big gym. Hold on. Most people are broke. Broke and, they, and they, broke, broke in pocket and in mindset. Both. Right? Both. Right? Double broke. So y'all gonna tell me y'all gonna tell me what to do. Right? Because worst thing worst worst like and and I always think worst case scenario. What's the worst thing that could happen? I fail. Right? Worst case scenario, I fail. I ruled my credit for seven years. Like, you know, what's what is the worst thing that can happen? The house burns down. Well, I got insurance for that. Like most of the worst case scenarios with real estate, I can prepare for, right? right? Or I'm down for seven years because I screwed my credit. But like that's as long as nobody died, you know, or it wasn't I wasn't negligent. I'm not going to jail. Like it's yeah. like you know, because me and straight backs, on, you know, in a, in a, <laughs> right? You know, like that's worst case scenario actually. Um, 
So I went a few blocks south of Washington. I started buying there. And this was, right, if y'all remember the, the period, this was right around the time where, um, where the market had crashed. And, and that's when I really, because I'm, I'm a very opportunistic investor. You know, I, I don't see real estate as the end all and, and be all. I'm not, like, real estate is not my career. My career is finding assets that will pay me. I don't care what it is. Like, real estate is just one of the things that I do, right? Like, when I say own some shit, I ain't saying I don't say own real estate. I say own some shit, right? Yeah. 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 You know, la- landlording ain't for everybody, right? Short term or long term. So when I say own some shit, um, I mean own either some real estate. Um, I own stocks. I got a lot of stocks. I'm a, by, by the way, when I graduated from college, I became a licensed stockbroker. So I own a lot of stocks. Yeah. Um, stocks were my first love. Um, when I say own some shit, I just started buying artwork, black artwork. Right, I just I just bought a couple pieces by an amazing artist, a guy named B. Moore, okay. um, and I'm gonna put them in my new place that I'm built. Like, so when I say See own that? some things, because because listen, every like you know, because also black people, we've been knocked down by capitalism, right? Like if you can be if you can be real, right? And so we have like this kind of like there's this moral fine line between like you know, can I really you know invest in somebody's capitalist? Stuff? Like like I get when black people say that to me, considering our history in this country, I get it. Right? And I'm not going to sit there and act like, you know, you know wish, like, wish your point. Like, you know, we all got to be like, I, I get it. So the key is to find something that works for you because the reality is in America, you do have to own something. That's a fact. Right? That's the reality. So, so that's, that, that was a long way of saying how I fell in love with real estate. I mean, that was a great way. Well, you gave it to us, though. You, you definitely gave it to us. There was a lot of information in what you just said. But let's talk about, right, you fell in love with real estate. You went south of Washington. You, you didn't listen to what anybody told you to do. Right, you went there. You went to the hood. No yep. one wanted to go there, and you got your first property. Yep. Tell us about that. So, to to back up, um, that's what that's where I started investing. When I started investing aggressively, my first property I bought when I was twenty, two years out of college. So I was twenty four, twenty three or twenty four. I actually bought a property in West Philly. I bought a foreclosed property, um, and I called that property um, my equity piggy bank. Doug said something earlier um, last week during his um, his uh, his segment that. Um, he basically, you know, used the property and just kept pushing it forward, right? So, you know, that was, um, that's what I did. You know, I basically took this property, this first property that I bought to live in. I had a, a house hack. So that was, um, you know, for me, like a house hack is basically I bought a three-bedroom, foreclosed property. Um, my mortgage was like 600 bucks a month. What kind of loan did you get? So this was back in 2002. The shit I got, I don't think it is. Like I got a hundred and eight percent financing. Whoa, whoa, hold on. You was, so this was the wild cowboy. This was days. oh, this was. I mean, it was. This, this was, was the, wild. This was the wild. So you got a hundred and eight percent financing. One hundred eight percent financing. Oh, yeah, that yeah. was some difference. Yeah, so I don't even like. Yeah, I don't even talk about the financing. My first deal. Like I have no idea. Like what that was just. I mean, we. I, People say, you know, you know, are you surprised what, as you know, as to what happened in 2008? Hell no! Like, yeah, why would y'all no. give me that much money? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so you know, so so I got a 108 percent finance loan. Um, it was it was my primary. Um, I had to live there because this was this the old like Golden Feather website where you found the property. It was a HUD home. You had to live in there. I lived in there for a couple years. I, I had a, um, a roommate that basically paid my entire mortgage. The mortgage that she gave me, I st- uh, the rent that she gave me that paid my mortgage, I used my money of living free, and I stacked that capital. And I bought another property a couple years after that, put 20% down from the rents that she was giving me. Um, and, then I, and then I waited. Like, from 2004 till 2011, again, I, I'm, an, I'm an opportunistic investor. 
Um, I just watched the market kind of run. I watched like lenders give um, buyers mortgages oh, that they. It was crazy, and I was like, you know, this something ain't right about this. So I just parked my capital somewhere else. If I can't find a deal, I'm not going to chase. Right? I'm never going to chase. Now that's don't. a gem. If you can't find a deal, don't chase. Yeah. Mm-mm. I love that. Gym you didn't have FOMO. I didn't have FOMO. I didn't have FOMO. FOMO for those those you don't know is fear of missing out. Yeah. So so I was a new stockbroker in 2000. I started dabbling in the stock market in 1999 based on FOMO. Because if you were if, like if you were around during the late 90s, there was this thing called the dot com bubble. Yeah. Right. Okay. And that was that was my first investment. Yeah. I was like, well, this is this is hot. Yeah. You know, like so so all the all the stocks that were going up like Netscape, AOL, like these like crazy companies that were going ridiculous. That's that was my first investment, and I lost seventy percent of my investment within a year. Wow. So for me, like I like I don't like you ain't never got to worry about me and FOMO because I've You've I see already how been FOMO there, goes. done that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I if I cannot find a deal, like you know these folks are like you know I'm I'm one of ninety six bidders on a house right now, and you know I'm willing to go. You know, way over asking. I'm like, that, good luck with that. Me and you on the same page. Yeah, I ain't with that life. No, but again, we ain't overpaying for shit. But again, you guys <laughs> are not retail buyers. Sorry, no. no. Yeah, no, we're not retail buyers. No, we're not no. retail buyers. No, 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 Let me just all. say that for the realtors that are in the house, the people that are watching, you're buying your first house as a retail buyer. Those rules do not apply. Preach to them. These these are investors. They're coming from an investor hat. You yep. heard her. Yep. She got capital. You know, I'm looking for I'm looking for I'm looking for deals. I'm scouring the earth for deals, however I can find them. So I bought this property in 2002. I stayed there for a couple of years, um, rented it out once I left that house, and I rented it out for a number of years. And then when the the financial crisis hit in 2008, 2009, 2010, I started watching um, the market, and I said, you know what, I've got this equity piggy bank. I've held this property for a number of years. So I took a HELOC against it, a home equity line of credit, which is my that's that's my favorite product. Right, I love me a, a good old nasty HELOC. That's just <laughs> listen, that's just the sexiest. Listen, I, like I don't need like, HELOC is bay. Uh, listen, that's <laughs> HELOC is motherfucking bay. I don't like refinance it. Like the thing, I, and the, the thing I like about a HELOC is I, I can use that thing over and over again. Right, it's flexible. I don't have to pay any interest on it. Like, and I'm I am like anti fees. I've never done hard money because I'm not paying it. You're like you twelve percent. You want twelve percent of my money? Like I, I I've, I've I've never done a hard As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
funny little bit, just because I am very conscious of how I spend my money, right? Um, I'm willing to, 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 to pay people for their services, I'm willing, like, but I am truly looking for the cheapest debt possible. <laughs> Right, like cheap, like cheap, like I want, I, I want to pay as little as possible. I hate banks. Banks to me are the man. Right, sorry, brother. That's all good. Um, he said what he said. I hate banks too. So, so I'm, um, I know, man, I know. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm, I'm very cognizant of how I spend my money. So I, I, I pulled a HELOC against this property, um, and I use that to basically like go and get the revenge and go get my equity that I was entitled to. When we sold that house, my family house in 1999. Reparations. That was reparations. Reparations. But now, you know, we got to make sure we let people know a HELOC is a home equity line of credit. Yes. Okay, you take that out against the property. Clearly, she owns this property free and clear, so she can take her equity out of that property, which is cash, it's a cash line, and she can use that to acquire other property and do anything else that she wants. Yep, yep, and 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 I just I just kept flipping the money. So I bought I bought my first property in South Philly um, in 2011. I paid fifty six thousand for it. I took some cash out of my pocket, renovated it, um, put a tenant in the property, and I had that. So that property was was free and clear, right? So I'd use the HELOC from that first property in West Philly. Um, so I went to the bank and I said, "Look, I got this free and clear property. Um, I got a tenant in it." Like, can y'all give me a loan against this property? Now, like, now I'm willing to take hard loans. I want, I want my HELOC there that I can play with, put me on the side. Um, and they did. They gave me a home equity loan, which was like $49 of closing. They gave me a home equity loan against this property. So my only out-of-pocket cost was $49 to close on that home, home, home equity loan. They gave me a loan against that property. So I then had proceeds to pay off my HELOC. Uh, my HELOC was free and clear. Bay was free again. Free again. Um, <laughs> and I just took okay. that money around the corner and did the exact same thing. And then I just Rinse kept replicating. Repeat. Rinse and repeat. And the, th the crazy thing about um, real estate investors or any investors or any business people in general, sometimes we do something and it works so well that we stop doing it, right? Um, the only, um, you know, the only, you know, you, you can always play Monday morning, Monday morning quarterback in retrospect. Now, I was investing heavily in South Philly back in 2011, 2012. In retrospect, now knowing how much those houses would have appreciated, and I, I had no idea would appreciate that much. Because keep in mind, at this point, I am south of Washington, where everybody was telling me, "Don't go. You don't go south of Washington." Um, so I was like, you know, I don't know. I'm kind of scared. In retrospect, my fu should have been with all of my soul, and I should have damn near gone bankrupt trying to buy as much as I possibly could in South Philly in 2011. So I was a little hesitant, a little skeptical, because in the back of my mind, I was like, well, maybe what they're, what, you know, they may be right. It is kind of rough on this block. We're coming off of the Great Recession sure, at that point, too. Sure, so it, sure. it was uncertain times. It, it was uncertain times. The the block captain would sing naked walking down the street. So, you know, <laughs> but can I, it was... Block <laughs> <laughs> captain? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. If we, oh, yeah. If we think about it, there's always uncertain times. We're in uncertain times now. Yeah. No, it you was, know, so yeah. if you think about real estate, if you know, we're always in uncertain times. Think about it. From always, every every always. every cycle, it's every year, cycle. it's always uncertain times. So you can't always. wait for the perfect time to no say you want to invest. There's no perfect time. Yep. Agreed. Agreed. I 100% agree with that. All right. So you started in 2011. You had a little, you a little shaky, but then you just said, "Fuck it." I'm gonna go balls to the wall and I'm gonna go after mines. I did. So revenge. Um, it's, I, time to, it's time. It's time to attack. Revenge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you know, I mentioned earlier that um, I'm I'm really just looking for places to park capital. Um, I started a, a franchise in 2014 and my income shot up substantially. Um, so I had a lot of capital then to deploy. So once 2014 came and and my franchise was up and running because my um 
you know, how I, how I kind of see and approach investing. I always want, I always want income from multiple sources, right? And we hear that multiple, that, that cliche, you know, I want multiple streams of income. Like, we're probably, we're probably tired of hearing people say that, right? But you need it. But you need it. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's, as long as they're all bringing in streams. I think some of us want multiple streams. It's like, all right, what? Yeah, we get at least six figures. Like, each stream needs to bring in something to carry its weight. Correct. Don't just say you have multiple streams of income and it all adds up to something you can get from one stream. Then that doesn't make sense. Yeah. You're just wearing yourself thin. Agreed. 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 So I had this, um, I had a franchise, I had real estate, I had stocks, and essentially my franchise funneled money into the other two. And for me, that was, my focus was how can I create a business um, that I was interested in, right? So I tell people all the time, like, you know, real, if, if real estate may be the place you park your capital, but if you can generate or if you can have a business that generates a sufficient amount of capital, the question is what are you then going to do with that capital? Right. Most people, as their capital increases, they get they get they get a business, they get a better job. Um, and keep in mind, you can have a nine to five and still get it. Right. So if you got a nine to five and your income increases substantially, the issue is most people, when their income goes up, their lifestyle goes up. Right. We call it lifestyle inflation. Yes. Right. So they don't have that opportunity to park that capital. I read that in her book, you guys. Oh, yeah. Talk about lifestyle Mud inflation. Millions, y'all. Mud to millions. Mud to millions. And, and it's so true. It's very important to have your income increase and just wait. Wait till you see how you can live that lifestyle. And, you know, one thing I learned about wealth, and that's just for me, again, reading books, following people like Aisha, you know, being a first-generational person that is actually making money and living a certain lifestyle, you do, you know, you do fall victim to being, to capitalism. You do fall victim to, I need that bag, I need that outfit. But I feel like you can definitely find a way to do both. But you have to invest. You got to own some shit. And one thing about Aisha, she, I mean, it's true. You start making that money and you're inflating your income and you're like, all right, I got, I made an extra hundred thousand. Let me spend an extra ninety thousand. You'll never grow. You'll never generate um, generational wealth like that. So that's in her book, though. Not trying to plug her out, but I read that book like twice during the pandemic, so I can plan my strategies. You know that, and that's, and I mean, the key is to also, um, thank you for shouting it out too. By the way, I got um, you. Uh, the, the key is, you know, obviously as your, as your income increases, there, there are going to be some allowances that you give yourself, right? And I don't want people to feel like, you know, uh, you know, like a, like a damn slave, right? Like all I do is work. I got So let's break that down for the people, right? Because a lot of people have this problem. They don't know how to financial plan and this is what you do very well. Yep. So within how, reason, cause what, we know you get paid for this. Yep. Oh yeah. hundred yeah, <laughs> percent within reason. Yep. Right. How can the audience you know, financial plan and, yep. and, and your advice. Yep. So the, the best thing to do if you're trying to plan and figure out how much I should save is really to begin with the end in mind, right? So to know how much do I need at the end of this? What is my, what is my monthly income need to retire me, right? What does that number look like? And then back into the numbers to figure out, okay, how much do I need in, let's say, a stock portfolio to get there? How much do I need if I had stocks and real estate to get there? And then, okay, well, now that I know how much I need uh, in stocks and real estate in order to generate this monthly income need, how much do I have to save in order to get there? That number should be dedicated each month. So if you if you blow everything on Balenciaga above and beyond what you know you need to park in terms of savings to get to your end goal, who ca- you know, who cares? And the thing is, like, do what's important to you. And that's what I always say to, say to people all the time. Like, you know, you shouldn't be out here spending for, you know, to, to, to please or, you know, show somebody else what you got. Like, I don't care about, like, any expensive thing I have, 
Um, it's we usually because, yeah, it's, it's the house, baby. It's the house. <laughs> we're gonna have to get to that. Yeah, it's, we're gonna get to that. In the it's, it's the house. But we you're not. But you're not overspending. I'm not. You're not overspending. You're I'm frugal. Not. I'm pretty frugal. You you living like you're broke, so yeah. to speak. Yeah. No, right. I will. I will. I will come out of a house worth a couple million bucks looking homeless, and that's a vibe to me. That's like that's <laughs> homeless vibe. That's a vibe to me. Listen. Okay. I feel so good riding around Philly in a dented pickup truck with trash in my flatbed. Dang! I feel, listen, I, but but that that works for me. Like my and and we're not all we're not all the same, right? I mean, I like when I tell you I got my 380 in the console. Like somebody would bother me. Ain't nobody. Ain't nobody. No, nobody, nobody. Listen, nobody's <laughs> worried about me, right? Yeah. I got trash literally in my flatbed, pulling up to brunch with my friend, trying to get you know park far away so they don't see and talk shit about me. <laughs> my side door got dents in it, but I feel so comfortable. That is my element, right? A Yosemite Sam shirt was like my favorite shirt as a kid. So that's that's like I done made it. Like, you know, we yeah. got here. My real estate, uh, my real estate partner, who is not on socials, like she feels like I'm too transparent on socials. My real estate partner, who is not at all transparent on socials, rides around Philadelphia, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in a yellow Lamborghini truck. <laughs> I'm like, girl, I'm about to rob you. <laughs> I'm about to knock you clean over the head. <laughs> like ski mask, like <laughs> <laughs> like, like, so, so that to me is discomfort, right? Like, yeah. e- even in LA, which people think, you know, a lot of people have money. I like riding around, like, LA goes like hot to cold real quick. That's like, you know, so I'm like, I feel more comfortable. Like, I'll put money where I think money needs to go. I'll have a nice house. I'll invest, like, I'll run stone, clean up my kitchen wall. Let's, right baby, I, I told you we're going to talk about this house. Okay, we'll get, we'll get into that. We'll we get, into, get that. into that. Oh, but my I, God. I appreciate the that you pr- are. Like, one thing about it, you talk about building generational wealth. You talk about how you went from one house at a time. And a lot of people want to skip that process. Can you at least tell us about any time any of these investments almost knocked your head off? Um, The hardest part, and I will, will, like, y'all, like, my family can put this on my my tombstone. The hardest part of investing in real estate is, um, is contractors, right? We all know that. Most of the best contractors in Philly, we become GCs. Our own, we're our own general. I'm a general contractor, and I don't really know much about much about like you know, like I can't I can't give you all the nuances of how a house goes. But I've got great relationships with sub great relationships with subcontractors. Um, I've had a con. I've I had one of actually one of my best contractors, my best GCs. I think there was a point where he got jealous in the relationship. You know, it went from. I pay you to do a job to him thinking, you're getting rich off my work. Wow. Right? But it's like, no, I'm paying you for a service. I'm paying you well for a service. I'm not undercutting you. I'm not telling you, give me lower prices so I can give you equity. So he started counting your pockets. He started counting my pockets. Rule number one. Right. Rule number one. You know, and I think he started doing it when my real estate partner started riding up in that damn car. (laughs) You blaming the partner. Rule number two, don't bring the Lambo to the construction site. Do not site. bring a Lambo <laughs> to the construction site. <laughs> I'm like, you done effed it up with both of us. <laughs> so, you know, I, I feel like, you know, he started feeling like, you know, y'all, here y'all go, y'all, you know, y'all, y'all got that, y'all got Lambo money, right? So, um, so w- it, it ended up, it ended up being a disaster. He was like, he had like closed walls, bad work. It was, it was, it was bad. We had to rip, rip open. I mean, that, that probably because it was a four unit building that probably call i mean it was a six figure a six figure mistake and i remember thinking you know i mean I, right, shortly after that i went and got my gc license um but we've been there as investors you know we've i've been on projects where um 
you know, contractors disappear. Contractors, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge advocate of making sure that you don't give, to, give a contractor too much money up front. Um, because I've been there, you know, I've, I've, I've had contractors so, so disappear. So let's talk about that, right? The draw process, how you're paying your contractors. What's your, what's your system? Yep. that you have in place. So so most of my contractors now have a relationship enough with them where most of them will do almost all of the work before asking for money. Um, I do almost all of my, my deals cash. So I you know I don't I'm not borrowing, I'm not financing, I don't do hard money. I don't, you know, I'm not um, so again, this goes back to remember I created a high capital intensive business. My role and my responsibility is to then take the capital from that business and roll it into real estate. Um, and we all have different risk tolerances, right? So for me, I don't sleep well with a lot of debt, right? Like I've got, I've got, I think I own 30 some buildings between Philly and one in LA. And I think I have maybe mortgages on three or four of them. So for me, like if I've got, you know, a, a, a debt on every building, that doesn't work for me. Not every investor has the same risk tolerance that I do. So you've got to make sure that you operate within what helps you sleep at night, right? I know, like, some, some investors are like, Dan, bro, you got, like, 50 buildings and, like, 100 mortgages. How the hell that happened? Like, yeah, yeah. you know, so, so, yeah, it's, so, you know, and, and, there's, and, and there's, there's space between the two, right? There's over leverage. There's someone like me that's like, look, you know, I got capital coming in from a, you know, a, a good franchise, and I'm willing to not elevate my lifestyle significantly and park it in, in real estate. And then there's, the, you know, someone who's between us, right? Like, they're taking on a moderate level of debt. Um, and they're, they're operating a space of financing appropriately. So the key is to figure out what works for me. Because I think that sometimes we sit and, you know, we, we, we see these business credit people on IG and they're like, you know, take a cash advance off your business credit card and then you take that money and then you're going to put that into your real estate bill. And you're like, what the hell? Like, you know, so, it, you know, you, you've just got to make sure that you flow within what works for you. Um, and what operates, you know, what, what makes you feel operate within your own personal risk tolerance. I, I don't want I like this the to way go. She said that, I, I love the way you said this, but I don't want this to go up nobody's head. Thirty something buildings. Thirty something buildings. Because you said that like a blip. So that's forty. Because some are single family, some are multifamily. I think it's forty seven, forty six or forty seven doors. Forty six, forty seven doors, <laughs> and only three of them have debt. Three of them hit. Maybe four with L A. Four of them. Four properties with debt. Yeah, that's incredible. That's incredible. Yeah. That is freaking. That's amazing. a discipline. But you know, it's straight discipline. So, so here's the thing. It is. It is. I'm not. I'm not going to probably have 200 doors if you really wanted to. You sure, I could scale shit. up. Yeah. yeah. And that's and that's the that's the thing. If if a good enough deal comes along, you know, I could put a blanket HELOC against you know a bunch of properties and just go really big. Um, if that deal comes along, that is in the back of my mind. I've got a, I've got millions worth of just free and clear equity sitting there that I could tap into. Um, if a if a big enough scale apartment building or or something big enough came along, um, I would do that. But again, from day one, I have been a value investor. I'm I'm always a value investor. I'm I, I have to make sure that. Like, if I don't feel like I done stole this house, <laughs> you know, I'm walking out of clothes and like, y'all good? <laughs> I'm good, y'all good? So, y'all right over there? <laughs> so if, if I don't, you know, if I don't skip out of clothes in a little bit, I, I feel uncomfortable. Jeez, if a you thief don't feel in like a thief right in the night. This is a thief in the night right here. I, love I think it. that one thing I love about... Like just following your platform and watching how you are talking to your audience and educating us on door by door, brick by brick, just start with owning some shit. Own one house, keep going, keep moving forward from there. If there's any piece of advice you can give someone, because you know what's going on in this market, you see? Yep. 
You see the retail market. Yep. And um, most people, they may not have the advantage of having 20% down. They may not be able to do that. Some people are like, I got 5% and I got my closing costs. Give me a miracle. Let me see how this is going to work for me in this market. So do you still, even in the, even knowing that first-time buyer may not have that advantage, what do you recommend they do just to get their foot, just to jump off the porch? So different answers for different folks, right? So if I'm a, if I'm a retail investor buying my first home, if all you have is 35 or 5% down um, and buying that home is still going to be drastically cheaper in your market than renting, take the plunge. Go ahead and do it. If you're investing, if you're an investor, and this is a totally different message for an investor, if you're an investor and you don't have the money down, don't, don't become an investor, right? Mm. Because so Please say it one more time. Please, yeah, don't, yeah. please rewind that. Drop okay, a bomb well, uh, on We got to cheers. No, we got to cheers. Hold on. Y'all need to get your Cheers, cheers, cheers. Everybody it's, else cheers. It's too many. Too many. It's too many people out here talking about you can buy real estate with no money. Mm-mm. I'm tired of that shit. Because we know it's not true. Yeah. And, you know, if it cap. was true, we would all have it. It's cat. Like, cap. If, if I could buy real estate with no money, I'm out here. I see the deals first. I would buy all the real estate. It just doesn't make sense. You know, if if um, even if it's possible, still don't do it. Because, you, know, you know, one could argue, in theory, there are creative creative financing ways to buy something, you know, with no money down. Which like, right, is true. I can do seller financing. Yeah, you can Absolutely. do seller financing. Yeah, I, yeah. Could, I could do a subject to. Um, right. You know, so I could, I could creatively put my foot in the door as, as an investor. Um, but the reality is if this is my first deal and I haven't developed the disciplines to make sure that I can accumulate the capital needed to just get the thing to begin with, what kind of discipline am I going to have when, I've, when I'm getting the rent and then I got to the, fix their furnace yeah. where their roof goes, yeah. right? People often wonder, like, you know, for, for folks who say, you know, you, you got that coworker, I had a bad experience as a landlord, I'd never do that again. I, like, it's because, sis, you ain't had a, the money to fix the stuff and they hated your guts. Say it one more time for That's the people in the back. You, your tenants hated you because they kept calling you, it's cold in here, yeah. right? And they're not paying you rent because, I, you know, I got I to gotta then go out and get, like, personal heaters, like space heaters, to heat this damn house. And now my electric bill is so high because you can't fix the heater. That's why I'm not paying you rent because my electric bill is now $600 a month. So typically the bad experiences, and and also as a landlord, let's say your your tenant is not having issues with the fact that you can't fix things. You were so undisciplined uh, undisciplined that you took the very first applicant that that waived three months rent in your face. Right, because when somebody waived money, right, and you're not a disciplined investor, you saw three months rent or two months rent first in security, and you damn near fainted, or somebody said, because here's the, the most problematic tenants, right? Most problematic tenants are usually that you, you show up to a show and they're like, how much to take this off the market right now? Yeah. Right? Like, they, I got cash, I need to move immediately. Yeah. Right? And a desperate landlord, an undisciplined landlord who has a mortgage next month and they don't have any capital, they have no reserve money, they will take that person who's willing to waive money in their face right now because they need the capital. And that person has 96 evictions. They are being evicted as we speak. Oh, I tell you, I can promise you this. Right? <laughs> like, Serial investors. That's true, because from my property management days, we always would say the worst person walk- that walked in the door was the person that needed to move tomorrow. Yep. If you got to move tomorrow, buying real estate and renting real estate cannot be an emergency. No. It is not. You need. You don't have 30 days. You got to move tomorrow, sis. 
Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah, you, we see what's happening you, here, and they, and they got six months rent too, three months rent up front. They got all the money, so it makes you you have to really think about that. And that's just coming from my property management days. Every time I had to meet a quota, and I said, "All right, <laughs> <laughs> I'll be the." It would be my my assistant manager knocking on the door, putting on the letters, calling my friends at down to the courthouse. Can you please get this person off our property? Because once you get that three months rent up front, you got nothing else. No more money. Nothing. Professional tenants. You know, <laughs> professional tenants. Kiana, Kiana will tell you I'm 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 pretty direct, right? Absolutely. Yeah, I don't I don't like fluff. So she I'm I'm the I'm nice. the James, landlord. Baby, be yourself. Yeah, I'm the landlord Please. that someone someone will say you know I, I need it like I like because there there are extenuating circumstances, right? There there is the you know the the one person who they genuinely do need to move tomorrow, right? Unsafe conditions, maybe the house just burned out, whatever. So I, I'll give people the benefit of the benefit of the doubt, and I'm the one that will check for evictions while you're standing right in my face. Right. So, you know, you want this place immediately. You have, like I can go in Philly courts immediately right on my phone. It's public information. Yeah. You know, do you have any evictions? No, I'll pull it up right on my phone. My good sis. You're lying to me. You got court tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> did, you plan on, did you plan on showing up? <laughs> right. Like so I'm like I'm, I'm going to run it down and I'm going to protect myself 100 percent of the time. And the reason I'm going to protect myself 100 percent of the time is because I am a great landlord. I'm a great landlord. I'm not going to knock you down. So, so here's the here's the a part of what I do, and and I get so pissed off when people um people rant at me on social media about you know I've been called a gentrifier for fine for mining gold in my own hood. I've been called a gentrifier. Oh man, like, there's something wrong with that. What's right? wrong with people? It, like and and, and, he, and he, if it's not a her, then who? And sometimes yeah. we have to look at that. So if it's not our own people coming into these neighborhoods, making them better bringing in quality tenant tenants, having quality properties, then who else Who else you think it's going to be? Well, the, wild, the wildest thing is people say this and don't even know my business model, right? So here's a here's an interesting thing about me. Because, me. because I have so few mortgages, I don't have to knock people over the head for the rents, right? Most of my rents, because I want volume at applicant, at, 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 I want volume applications, right? So I want, I want a price at market or slightly below because when I go to screen folks, I have like... I like I'll literally have like 40 emails within like three hours of a, of a listing. I get to be pick and cho- picky and choosy. Like like who like who do I want? Right. There's yeah. not three people applying because I didn't price this like way too high. Yeah. And because I don't have I don't have um, mortgages on most of my buildings, I can afford that. And then I don't have to like keep raising the rents on them. So the people who grew up in the community can tend to still afford to live in my units in the community. And then you can call me a gentrifier. So, and, and here's the thing. If you've seen, if you go to my social media page, I'm at Aisha Selden on, on, on Twitter and Instagram. Most of the buildings I'm doing are the buildings that most investors will not do. Right? You, you crack that door open. Oh, you're definitely doing some... Um Real development. It's the Lord's work. Yeah. It's, like, the Lord's it's, it's, work. it's the Lord's work. It's the Lord's work. It's God bless It's like a special type of person. Because I'd be over there like, oh, no. Yeah. She posted that video tomorrow. This is how Atlanta agents show up. Exactly. And we nah. would not show up let to me, that, baby. No. Let me tell you, when I saw Bucktooth, I, Bucktooth s- took me I said, Bucktooth. took me out. I said, you see this damn property? Yeah. No. It's, so, I mean, I'm doing, I'm doing, and, and here's what. names, y'all. Here's what. She, she, she names, names her property. Oh, no, my property. We, we, we're intimate. My, my properties and I. Um, so we, um, you know, we, we do total renovations and someone, a drive by angry person will run by and say, I bet the rent went up. Right. And here's, here's my challenge with that. Right. Having a roof does tend to raise the rents, right? Having floors, working plumbing does tend to raise the rents a bit. 
But the reality is my model is priced in such a fashion where I don't have to knock you down for rents to live in one of my units. And that's important to me. There's, there's, not, only, there's not only an economic benefit um, for me investing where I invest. There is also very much a social piece, a social justice piece of, of, of doing what I do, making sure that people don't get priced out of their communities. So there is work that we can do while still making sure that we protect our people. Like we don't have to be, we don't have to be the asshole kind of corporations that come in and, and, and crush our own people. We don't have to be that, that. We don't have to be them. If we set up a model, we set up a system that, that works and make sure that people can still live and thrive in our communities. And we can still make profits as well. I mean, I, I, my, my returns are, are, are good. Well, let me ask you this. Since, you, since you brought it up. And we had to lead into it. Keep it going. So how is the moratorium affecting you? Because you have these units, and we know there are some people that really needed relief, and there are some people that decided, hey, I'm not paying you. I'm going out to eat. So I do all of my own management, right? Which most really? people find Yeah, most people find that very no interesting. No company. No company. I am the company. Oh, let me say a prayer for you. Yeah. So, so but here's, here's how that – and. There, I, I, I do need to divest myself of that at some point. I started doing it because I was cheap. And right. then, you know, I, I kept saying, when I get to this number of properties, I'm, I'm going to hire a company. When I get to this. And then it got to a point where I said, you know what? It's so big now, my rent roll could afford to hire someone who works for me exclusively. So now, it, like, that's. You build it in-house. Yeah. Put I would, them on a salary. I, that's exactly what I would do. I, w- I would build it in-house. But the reason I've had issues um, delegating that is because I do it well. Right. My tenants tend to stay for years because I do I do it well. Um, This goes back to your question, Kiana, about the the moratorium. Um, I had one tenant who was a hairstylist. Her salon shut down. Um, We had such a good relationship because I'm a damn good landlord. She just said, you know what, I'm going to leave. And she just left. So, you know, I didn't have to pay her to leave. I didn't have to like, you know, I didn't have to like kick her out. I didn't have to like threaten her. I didn't have to take the door of her apartment off. (laughs) You know, all the stuff that we've heard. All the slumlords. All the things we're seeing. She just, she just left because, you know, we'd had a great relationship up up to that point. She knew I was, I was a person talking to a person. So when, when it got ugly, she just left. Um, And, and all my other tenants have been, have been cool. Philly had a, a rental assistance program that, Two or three of my tenants, my tenants applied for, and they were approved for. But all my other tenants, thankfully, have been, have been okay. So that's been a non-issue for me. My, my, you know, my issue with the the moratorium is simply that you cannot unilaterally enforce a contract, where you know, if when when a landlord and a tenant sign a contract, um, it is I will, you know, you can stand this house for this for this amount. My issue with the CDC stepping in and saying, you know, well, no, they don't have to pay this, but you can't do anything about it, is that is unilaterally a force enforcing a contract just one-sided. Yeah. Um, so I get you can't have that many people. Like, what are you going to do with them? Like, are you yeah. just going to kick them all out? Like, that, that is, that's, a, that's a problem, too. Absolutely. Um, I think that if the CDC was going to step in and say, I'm only going to enforce part of this contract, um, I think that the government should have then paid those landlords I agree. as a result. One thousand percent. Yeah. So let me That's ask what you was this. Missing. Let me ask you this, because um, you, you you said something. You self manage your properties. You got fifty doors, fifty people that you're responsible for. What is your system, right? How are you dealing and managing all these buildings, these people, the the repairs, and you're in California building your dream home. 
got your franchise, you're not just doing this full time. You have other businesses. Yep. So what is your system? How are you self-managed? Because a lot of people out there don't want to hire a property manager, right. but they don't know how to property manage yep. themselves. Yep. So what kind of tips? You know, what are three actionable items for someone who's getting into real estate and they want to self-manage? Um, one, you've got to make sure that you have a good team of contractors. Right. You, you, if you have no contractors, you have to delegate it. That is like that's your bread and butter. And when I say contractors, you've got to have a roofer on deck, a plumber on deck, an electrician on deck. You've got to have um, an appliance company on deck, like all the things that you don't even think about. Um, you've got to have you've got to have those numbers on deck. And it's totally OK to not stress yourself out trying to coordinate calendars. Right. So if my tenant texted me um, a couple days ago, my, my washer's not working. I'm not calling the appliance company. Here's the number. They have, I have, they have, I have an account with them. Tell them you're my tenant. Schedule a date that works for both of y'all. Y'all figure that out, and they'll call me and tell me what's wrong, or they'll call me for billing, right? So I want to streamline that as much as possible. Um, the second, make sure that you have all of your tenants on an electronic payment system. You will never get me showing up to your door for rent. Times are, times are hard. People are crazy. You've heard all kinds of crazy things about landlords being hurt, injured, you know, whatever. Like, I'm never coming to your door. For what rent. systems are you using? Um, so I make it easy for tenants. I'm, you know, and I'm, I'm hood. Like, you can cash at Venmo, <laughs> PayPal. <laughs> Like, we accepting all listen, digital Apple, payments. Apple Pay, Zelle. You accepting Bitcoin? She said she wanted she wanted to get it how she lives. Listen, if somebody said I got Bitcoin to send you, I would figure it out. Okay. I would, like I'm I'm trust me, I will make it as e if you want to send me some Bitcoin through Cash App, like I will figure it out on this side. Okay. So I mean I literally will make it as so you're not gonna tell me, oh, you didn't have Zelle. Yes, I do. You know, like, you didn't have Venmo, yep, and you can even put the tagline in the Venmo comment section or like you can send me money any way that you want. Um, I've got two tenants that have an account number because they're older and they're like, you know, they're, they're literally older. So they, they go and physically make a deposit. Um, but other, otherwise, all my other tenants, um, they, they figure it out electronically. I feel sorry for your bookkeeper. <laughs> Wait, you feel sorry for me? What did you say? That I'm the bookkeeper. <laughs> Baby. <laughs> you feel me. All I'm the book- all so ways. so, so literally when it's time to sit down to do taxes, I legitimately fear for my life. It's like literally everything shuts down <laughs> wow. for a good solid month because I've got to like then accurately like account for everything because I'm, 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 do- I'm doing it all. Um, and you know, I also don't miss. I trust my bookkeeper. I trust her wholeheartedly. <laughs> we never As steal. You yeah. Um, so, and, and then the third thing is, um, I have I have a lot of spreadsheets that just keep my life in order. So, I mean, if you're not organization, yeah. If you're not, and, and again, I use spreadsheets because that works for me. Um, you know, if if a black and white composition book is is what works for you, like do do a have a system that will work for you to you know make sure that you can keep everything ad, uh, adequately. You know, some people are you know sophisticated. They're using QuickBooks and you know whatever. Um, spreadsheets work for me. Great three three steps. That's, that's a great three that. steps. I like that. So now that we've gotten through that part, we know that, you know, you own all these houses. You collect your rents however you want to get them. You own all these buildings. Let's talk about how you've been able to say, all right, now that I've created this cash flow and I'm living this life based on this cash flow, how did you end up in this house in the hills in Cali? We just got to talk about Let's it. Talk about the dream house now, because you could have been, you could have been purchased your dream she, house. I mean, she could have been ago. got it, but I mean, True. I've been following the Years journey. Years ago. True. So you know, 
I um I made a commitment to myself, and I talked about it a little bit at the end of Mud to Millions. I made a commitment to myself as a as I'm 43 now, um, in my early 20s. I said, I went to LA, and I said, you know what? This is a vibe, right? Like, you know, in one shot, I can see mountains, palm trees. I can see snow-capped mountains. I can see the water, a skyline. The weather is, like, perfect. I, I flew in the red eye from L.A. this morning, and I was like, damn, it's humid as shit here. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I love it here in Atlanta. So I, um, you know, it, 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 it had been a goal of mine for a long time. And then finally, I finished a four-unit building um, cash. I bought it cash. I, re- I renovated it cash. And then um, I rented it, and I said, you know, I added up the rents minus, you know, expenses and all that stuff, and I said, you know what? That could buy me a seven-figure. These rents could buy me a seven-figure place in L.A. Like just this building, and I can dedicate this building, which is very much it's, it's still in the hood, right? It's right, it's like right near Temple Hospital. Um, I said this building, these net rents could buy me a place in a place in L.A. So I'm going to dedicate this building to to the place of the commitment that I made to myself many you know almost 20 years ago um and and i'm gonna i'm gonna see it happen so then so i bought the place um in um in la in a predominantly black section of la it's um it's view park which um if you know la it's like baldwin hills view park windsor hills which is a very affluent neighborhood i mean it's literally a hill of huxtables it's it's a hill of huxtables like you know the you know your neighbor pulls up and it's like hi i'm a professor at ucla my wife's a professor at ucla i'm like get the fuck out of here (laughs) (laughs) like you you know just a dime a dozen around here i mean it's it's in philly um you know if you and if you know philly philly's a tough city right like any predominantly black community in philly you know is it's it's it it, you know it's not well taken care of money wasn't invested in the city you know in our neighborhoods um, it, it doesn't it doesn't give you the same, you know, the same vibe, the same energy. We deserve it in Philly. Absolutely. Right. We deserve. I mean, you know, you look around the country. How many affluent, predominantly black neighborhoods are there? You got not many. Yeah. You Atlanta. Y- listen, y'all popping down here in Atlanta. Yeah, Atlanta. You got you got Maryland, PG County in, yep. in PG Maryland. County. Yep. For right? sure. Yeah. But you, when you look at most predominantly black neighborhoods, it, it's not too many. It's not too many. A handful. Yeah. So I said, you know what? This this is where I want to be. Like, I ain't got to worry about folks calling the cops on me. Literally, when the neighbors see me developing the house, they stop and say, you know what? I'm so glad it's you. And you know what I mean. Mm. Uh-huh. I love it. I'm like, wow. I love it. Right. It's, it's so so that that to me is like, you know, an enormous sense of um, a girl from Philly. Right. Yeah. An enormous sense of pride. Um, the Fresh Prince. Yeah, <laughs> fresh literally, princess. literally. <laughs> um, so I started building this house, um, and then I just went all out on it, right? Like the same person who, you know, I will drive around in a pickup truck with dents in the door. I mean, I went all out in this house. Y'all seen the, the baby? The wait a minute, y'all. She's Man. being humble. Yeah, this she's very big. She's hills. being really humble right now. I was like, I never seen this type of toilet. We were looking, we were all up, <laughs> up late at night on Instagram. I don't know why none of us sleep. None of us sleep. We don't hear arguing about a ten thousand dollar toilet. You just put your hand over, yeah, this, and it give you all the feels. Yeah. Guess who gets the toilet? Yes, yeah, answer my place. Guess the marble. This marble going up the wall, like I'm on this. Every time she go on live, I got notifications set because I'm just like, what else yeah. is she gonna do? And I'm like, can you? My room is over there on the right. <laughs> but what what what's so admirable is I know that she's she, she got it out the mud to get it. Yep. Absolutely. And, yep. and she's like, all right, I'm. She even even with her cheap self, like listen, frugal self, she wanted to choose one building. She got all these doors, but she wanted one building to make sure. 
it was taking care of this dream home so she can finally lay down as much as she possibly can whenever she can because we know she's not going to stop. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah, that, no that, that was Your house is dope. I love your house. But what, what I want to know is, because a lot of people want to invest out of state. You're from Philly. You're not from Cali, right? You're managing a multi-million dollar construction project. Even though this is your primary residence, this is still an investment for you. Yep. How the hell are you managing this, right? Because a lot of people want to invest out of state, Yep. maybe in cheaper markets, but they have a fear of that management, the construction, building a team. How did you go about doing this? You know, I'm a huge advocate of investing where you have boots on the ground, right? So I've got trusted relationships in that market. So even if I can't physically be there, there there are people that I can put hands on, like, you know, not you know not physically, but I can say, look, I need you to get, yeah, I, I need you to get there. I need you to be there. What's happening? Um, and the beauty of technology today is you you know you don't have to physically be there FaceTime. anymore. Yeah, you got you got FaceTime, you got Zoom, you got I mean you got cam- I got cameras set up all around my like I can see like you know you weren't there because I, I didn't see you on the camera like I know you weren't <laughs> yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. So um, you know it, it, we've we've got so much technology and and I say to people all the time there there's a, a bunch of pe- uh, a bunch of my friends that live in L A. Um, I'm a cash flow investor, right? Like I don't, I'm not going to risk or bet or speculate on appreciation. LA, LA appreciation has been fantastic, but when LA investors ask me where should they invest, I'm like, I wouldn't invest here if I was y'all. You know, like if you want to buy your primary, like when you when you got fu money, sure, buy you a house here. But for from an investment standpoint, most of my LA folks are investing in Baltimore, Philly, St. Louis, Detroit, Memphis, Cleveland, Dayton, Ohio. Like they're investing cash in flow. Chicago. Yeah, yeah, they're investing they're for investing cash, flow. cash flow. Yeah. So um and 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 I understand and complete like if you live in an expensive market, if you can't find deals, like for me as an investor, I've got I've got a two question what I call like litmus test. When I'm thinking about investing in a community, the very first question I ask myself is can I imagine a reasonable mom feeling comfortable raising her kids here? Mm. Right? So like, maybe I would live there, maybe I wouldn't. But would a reasonable mom feel comfortable raising her kids here? If the answer to that question is no, I don't even care what the numbers are. Mm-hmm. Right? We're not, we're not even going to get there. Like, if, it, if, if I pull up to a block, I was thinking about investing in Baltimore, and I told the, the, the realtor, this looks like we are on the set of the wire. <laughs> <laughs> the like, wire, And real. scene. Like, girl, you can slow this car down if you want to. <laughs> I will pull off without you. I can't believe Wow. Right? So... So though, I'm not going there because if I'm like, who in their right mind would live that? That's going. That's I'm, I'm self managing. That's who I'm going to play ball with every month for my money. Like no, like if I can't, you can't even be your right mind to live. The, like that's we're not doing that dance. Um, so the answer to that question is is yes. My next question is from rent roll only. I don't care about appreciation. I mean appreciation is great. Don't get me wrong. I, I love appreciation, but. It, I need my chickens to come back to me through cash flow. How long any capital that I deploy, how long is it going to take that capital to What's come back rule? to me? How so, long? so for me, net income, 10 years or less. 10 years or 10 less. 10 years or less. And right. when, I, when I analyze every deal, because the problem is debt makes a deal look better than it actually is. When I, when I do a formula, and I know different investors use different formulas. A lot of investors use a 65% rule that Doug talked about last week. Um, I use uh, a, a formula, and you can all Google this, called unlevered yield on cost. Unlevered, unlevered yield, yield on, on cost. cost. So whether I'm buying the property cash or not, right, whether it's cash or not, I assume my entire acquisition and renovation will be cash. And then I calculate what my net income would be. And I'm looking at net of everything. I want taxes out of there. I want insurance out of there. I want a vacancy rate factor in there. I want 
uh, a repairs and maintenance fund. I want capital expenditures, which is basically like repairs and maintenance big brother. I'm going to factor in all those costs, what my net income is, right? Because too many times we hear investors say the the rent's fifteen hundred, the mortgage is a thousand, so I'm cash flowing five hundred. Yeah. Not on God's green earth. Not on God's green earth. <laughs> no, not no. on God's green you, earth. You forgot a few pieces. Yeah, you forgot some expenses, right? So, so I I look at the unlevered yield on costs because if my deal doesn't work without the debt, then I don't want my deal. So I want my money coming back to me in ten years, and there's only certain markets I can do that, and I can't I can't get my money back in ten years through rents in New York, in LA, in Seattle, San yeah, Diego. High, co- high costs, you can't do that. Yeah, it's not gonna. Yeah. Yeah, it's not, it's yeah. not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Oh, it's, no. It's, those are equity markets. Yeah. You know, those are pl- plain equity markets. Yeah, those yeah. markets, you just, you you betting on that appreciation. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, cash flow markets are completely different. Totally than different. Market. Totally. And, and I want, I want something, again, I'm parking my capital somewhere. I'm betting only on rent rolls. That's all I'm betting on. LA, I mean, in LA is, is a whole different market. That property I bought, I bought the, the house in the hills in February of 2019. If I had done no work to that property, meaning if it was just in the in the condition I bought it in um, two years ago, a little over two years ago, it would be worth probably four hundred thousand more today. Three four hundred thousand wow. more today. Yeah, without and, and as the was upgrade. Good. without yes. the upgrades. Yeah, without humble the flex. Yeah, I mean, that humble was, flex for I, me. That was definitely a humble flex. I love that. <laughs> okay, let's cheer. Yeah, we got that, that one. That was a humble flex because you 10x that. Yeah, that was that was a good that was a good deal. That was a good deal. I'm ready for my invite, but you know, you always welcome. You always I, welcome. Oh, I know, and I'm on the way. <laughs> so one thing about cash flow is most of us are like, okay, let's get this cash flow. You know, you're invest. You've invested out of state. You said have some boots on the ground, have some feet on the ground. Yep. You know, we know you're big in Philly. So let's go back to Philly real quick. You yep. already you, we know you're invested in there. Let's go back to Philly. Is Philly a good cash flow state for those that are watching? If they and if they want to invest in Philly, do you feel like they can come and and not get their heads knocked off right now? Abs- absolutely. You're going to have to find a deal. Look for a deal in Philly, um, because like like most markets, it's absolutely wild right now. Um, but Philly's a great market. If I had to invest in, if I was looking across the country, um, my markets would be Philly, Baltimore. Chicago, Dayton, Ohio, Cleveland, Ohio, Detroit, um, Memphis, St. Louis is like is lit. They have a lot of they have a lot of multifamily. Different. Listen, my a a buddy of mine just she's closing. Knock on wood, she's closing in a few days. um, Got this property. It's a Section Eight tenant in it already. Seven fifty a month in rent. She's paying twenty three thousand for this. Wait, wait, I would what's do the that. city again? Listen, <laughs> I would say Louis. I would, it was a probate, a probate sale, seven fifty. I would do that all day, every day, twice on Sunday. I mean, like, and she's got boots on the ground there. So, but I mean, the property's already, you know, it's it's a tenant right. already living in it. So those are the markets those, that, that I would be looking. That was your top eight. Yeah, so I, that, I yeah, love those, those top eight because you know that she didn't say Atlanta. And let me tell you guys, I love Atlanta. But Atlanta's not a multifamily city. Atlanta's not a it's cash, a, yeah. a, a major cash one multifamily city. And I, I always say it, but I consistently say it. I'm glad she gave you the list so you can go to a cash flow city. We are we are an appreciation city. Yep. I, I mean, Atlanta, I was, now, I was saying the same the, thing. The Atlanta's values up are up. Yep. Like, our appreciation is there. But if you're counting on cash flow, you may fall a little short. So she gave you a list. I hope you wrote it down. Rewind. Listen again. Write it down yeah, one more time. I, I think the next episode, we should break down those top eight cities. We will. Right? We and, will. And with Aisha 
gave us, we'll break it all down. Let's break nice. it down to the numbers, cash flow, yeah. what to expect, average price point. All that good um, stuff. We'll, we'll include some appreciation because I'm an agent. I'm sorry. That appreciation counts. <laughs> we need that appreciation, but you need the cash flow too. I mean, to that point, I'm kicking myself. I talked to my real estate partner five, six years ago. I said, Atlanta's hot. We should buy I in told Atlanta. You. you sure did. And I'm, I'm kicking myself to this day. For not, you know, so if you ever see just an opportunity, Atlanta was a huge opportunity. And I'm, and you, you told me, you, and, and I'm kicking myself for not just even picking up something personally for myself. Anything. Yeah. Because we are an appreciation state. Like, it's crazy. We got people that bought a house two years ago making literally $120,000, $130,000 now. You, what? Appreciation yeah. is crazy now. So we're an appreciation state. Focus on the appreciation. If you want to be in Atlanta, the cash flow, multifamily, we don't got that for y'all. That's just the truth. Yeah. So before we wrap this up, right, I want to get your thoughts on the market and where do you see the market going? Do you see a crash happening? Do you see a correction? What is your opinion on the market, the real estate market, within the next two to three years? Yep. So, you know, I think it's... um. I think it's lazy to say that we're back at 2008, 2009, right? Agreed. Because everything that collapsed the market 2008, 2009 is not where we are today, right? Nope, not you know, at you, all. You, no 108% finance. No 108% <laughs> no finance. No do, no, these no-doc loan, like all this subprime lending that almost collapsed the entire U.S. financial economy back. That's not where we are. We have legitimate buyer demand. Right. We have a legitimate like there's there's more demand than there there is supply. Right. So the question then becomes what could possibly pull back the market? Two things. One, a spike in inventory. What where would that inventory come from? Um, you know, maybe if all of these, you know, Shadow inventory, I mean, or I mean, you know, the biggest thing I'm thinking is <clears throat> if if banks don't bail out the folks who are in these forbearances, if these forbearances become foreclosures, um, I just don't see that happening, though. I, I don't see that happening. Yeah, I, I don't see. We can I don't agree see on that. I, and yeah. I watch the list. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I watch the list because I'm in a position to take advantage, and I have a list of people waiting. And I tell you, it, it's just I really feel like they're just going to keep pushing it back, pushing it back, and all of a sudden we're going to see some big old program come out, and boom. Yep, agreed. It's done. And if agreed. it does happen, institutional investors are going to wipe that up. I mean, you, you, there was an article just the other day that talked about. Um, Basically, pension funds in Wall Street yep. are like absorbing single families. Single families, yeah. absorbing. They're buying they, they, all of they're it. They're buying them all. Yeah. And, and let's talk about that a little bit because when I when I say it, the average consumer is like, "Oh, she's being a hater. She don't she's want be, us to. She's she being a broker. To, she she being a broker. She just wants us to buy no, 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 these expensive houses. Real. But the truth of the matter is, the average person, when the home does go into foreclosure, and you have these huge corporations and they have cash money. Right now, we have cash money buyers. I have never seen anything like this in my entire yeah. career in my life. I'm talking about six hundred thousand dollar, million dollars cash competing with multiple offers, and that's really unheard of in the Atlanta market. So. I listed a house at 220000 I had 12 offers. 10 were cash. Where is this money coming from? You know what? These institutions are buying the property. So the average consumer is like, you're waiting for the dip, and you got your financing. How are you going to compete with the cash buyer? I, just, I would just say watch the prices. Make sure you find a good deal and feel good about that deal. Because waiting for a dip when there's institutions ready to wipe out and take off because what they want to do, they're buying them the rent. They yeah. every property that I that I list, if if they if it does not have an HOA, if they're still allowing renters, it's gone within a day. 
and they cash. They don't have no appraisal contingency. They Facts. don't have no financing contingency. They paying thirty thousand above asking, and they closing in seven days. Facts. Uh, uh, the average buyer can't do that. And so be mindful while you're, you're thinking you're waiting for the foreclosure dip. Look at the pricing in your area. Get with an agent that's going to really let you know what's going to happen because you might get outpriced while you're waiting. And then when it does happen, you might not be able to take advantage of it because you don't have the leverage. All facts. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. So you don't think it's going to be a crash? Um, if it is, I don't see it happening like anytime soon, particularly because of Wall Street and pension funds not just dipping their toe into this market. I mean, it's, and, and I, I, I hear on Twitter all day, every day, people complaining about mom and pop landlords. I'm like, you don't know a bad landlord until BlackRock is your landlord or yes. yeah. until, you know, yeah. until Zillow or, you know, a corporate, I mean, literally, yeah. yo late Zillow fee is due. everything right now. It's, Zillow, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Open door. It's crazy. Yeah. I can name all the companies that they're Red all, head, that Redfin, they're all got big corporations behind them buying these houses cash. Yep. Do you see a correction happening within the next two to three years? Um, you know, it, or it do could, you think it's still going to be a seller's market for the retail buyers? I, I think it'll soften at some point. Um, you know, could be a little bit of rise in rates. It could be inventory finally opens up a bit. Um, you know, I think that in 2020, there were some sellers who just didn't sell, and even in 2021, didn't sell because of the pandemic. Correct. If I didn't have to sell, I wouldn't want to you know, open my house to folks to come in, put their covid hands all over my stuff. <laughs> right? Like, I, you know, I, if I didn't have to sell, I wouldn't. Just say covid Yeah, so, you know, so I think that some sellers, you know, as as things, um, as restrictions lift, as people feel more comfortable, inventory will go up a little bit, you know. So I think it'll soften, um, you know, possibly next year, the following year. But, I mean, I don't I don't see it plunging like it did before. That's another question because you soften, yeah. soften. So, like you said, all the prices are up. Let's just talk from your experience in your, you're in Philly. Mm -hmm. Prices have gone up. Mm -hmm. So when you say soften, do you mean soften as far as having more inventory, or do you say, all right, that house is four hundred thousand, but now it's going to soften down to two hundred thousand? No, that's a that's a full out plunge. <laughs> that's a that's, full, a full that's plunge. not that's happening. That's yeah. beyond the crash. Yeah, that's no. a plunge. Yeah, so I'm fifty percent off. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I, I you know, four hundred thousand dollar house maybe goes to you know, three fifty. I mean, like you know, it's it's not gonna it's not gonna. It, in 10%. 2000, yeah, That's in 2008, 2009. We all, we all say the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm thinking 2023, 24, 2023, 24, probably 10%. Yeah, it should be, yeah, it should be interesting so, to watch. Somewhere around there, but it's going to be interesting. Yeah. But I, it was good to get your opinion. So Yeah, we, because we, we, the people trust you. You know, you, you're the people's champ. Uh -huh. so you definitely got, are. <laughs> so I got a question for you. What's that? You, you're on the Rants and Gems show. Yep. Facts. You're going to have to give us a rant, and you're going to have to give us a gem. What is one of the rants that you get? Like, what is something that you always are asking? Like, listen, y'all need to position yourself for this. And then give us a gem. Tell us how we can get like you and live in the hills, baby. You know, my, um, my rant is probably how, you know, a question that we talked about earlier, which is how can I, how can I get, how can I become a real estate investor with bad credit and no money? My, my position is, it takes a lot of discipline to be a good real estate investor. To be a good landlord, um, it takes a ton of discipline, you know, to, to be able to not spend those, ex you know, the extra rent money on increasing your lifestyle, to actually put that in a reserve fund and not touch it. I know landlords that were getting rent checks and then still lost the property because they were using the rent on personal expenses. You know, I'm like, well, how long was a tenant not paying rent? Oh, no, she's, she's paying the rent. Where the hell is the rent? You know, your, your job as a landlord is to take the money from the tenant, pay the more, like, you, you, you know, you're like a conduit from, you know, tenant to, to, to lender. Um, I see that happen, happen off, all too often. So um, 
I think that there's a ton of disciplines that need to happen up front um, before you before you can be a successful investor. Um, so that's love that. That's that's my. It, I don't know. If, I don't know if it's so much no, a, that's a rant. rant. It is, yeah, okay. That's a rant okay. because rant. everybody want to be an investor with zero money. It's yeah. a rant. And it a needs five to be said. twenty credit score. Yeah. No, you got to fix that no stuff. Job. Yeah. No. No, baby. No, baby. So what's the gem? Um, the gem is if I can, you can. I'm truly not a rocket scientist, I promise you. You know, like the the you know, it, it, if I can um and I and I and I you know, people ask me why I'm so transparent on social media about the house I'm building, like all all this stuff. Um I truly feel like you know, because when I was a kid before my mom bought her house, um she rented and our landlord was a white guy, Mr. Mitch. Um so I never saw a black woman landlord. I never, like, I never saw like a, you know, a black woman or you know, a black person own so much property. Um, I'm so transparent because I want folks to see that look like me, that like if she can do it, I, and I promise y'all, you know, what is super special about me is that I believe that I, I deserve it and that I can do it and that I think, you know what, worst case scenario, I fail, I fail forward, I learn some lessons and I'll still be okay. I love that. Big gem. All right, so we got some people in line. We got some, looks like we have two questions, and we want to get your questions answered. Um, you have the floor. Ask your question, and Aisha is ready. All right, thank you. Y'all talked about uh, cash flow and then uh, equity yep. cities. Yep. Do you have any indicators that one would change from one to the next, like Chicago going from cash flow to equity and then vice versa? Um, you know, I think... Um, I think if you do some research on the development or the plans for the city for a, for a particular city or area in advance, that'll give you an indicator of um, you know if they've got companies coming into the area, right? If they've got a, a good business plan to bring in good employers in, um, you can you can somewhat predict or estimate um, how that market is going to shift. Some of the best investors, even the folks that I know that are investing in Baltimore, look at specific pockets of Baltimore based on what they know is going to come to that area, you know, in the three-year, five-year plan. So, um, you know, I, I, again, I look at markets exclusively for cash flow. If I get the equity, great. I feel like if you bet on a market specifically for the cash flow but look at that three- to five-year trajectory for a certain area, um, you could score both, and that's a win. Right. If you can buy and buy cheap in an area where you can get great rents and get the appreciation because of a sufficient amount of research. I mean, that is like that is like it's go home run home run home run. home run. Great question. Thank you. All right. Let's take this last question and we're going to wrap this one up. <laughs> oh, poor baby. Oh. <laughs> that would be me at the mic. Don't worry, baby. That would be me. You're good. You're good. Slight adjustment. Is it questions that we're supposed to ask, answer? Go or ahead. Or just ask a question? Ask Any your question. question that you want question. to ask. Okay. So my name is Rachel. I'm from, I live in Atlanta. And so I was just really just asking for advice. I had to write it down because y'all been giving the drinks. So I'm like. <laughs> Welcome to the Ranch Gems. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm younger and I've always been interested in real estate, but I felt a little intimidated because I am younger and my dad was in real estate in the 2008 market. And so that really affected my family. So it kind of put me on a, like a don't get into that area type of 
feel. But as I've grown and start to love it, I'm really just trying to get more into it. I've done the stocks and I've had really good results in the stocks, especially last year. But I just wanted to get just your, my, my ultimate goal by the end of the year is to get my first flip. And so I just wanted to get like a good advice where to start, where should I do, what, what good markets or what, what should be my beginning point. Are you flipping here in Atlanta? I was thinking about it, but from what I've heard tonight, it's not the best so, market to go. So, so the, I'm, I'm, glad you, I'm glad you asked that question. So I think Atlanta would be a great market That's to flip in. Yeah, we, didn't, we didn't say it was a terrible market for flipping. It's, it's, it's just the cash flow because yeah. we don't have multifamily housing. Yep. It just doesn't make as much sense for most people. But if you flipped a house and put it on the market and you did a quality flip, first of all, you'd be under contract within 24 hours. You'll make your money back. You'll have multiple offers. I would say look at areas that, one, um, you can get an affordable flip. Join some groups. There's a bunch of groups, a bunch of people in Atlanta that are flipping houses. Just don't jump out the window. And mm -hmm. when you're looking to invest, like, and I'll tell you on the side, a few, a few groups that I feel like are great. I'm, in, I'm a part of a group as well. Mm -hmm. um, so I'll tell you, you want to join some groups and you want to make sure that you have all your ducks in a row. Don't just jump out the window. But when you start, recognize the, the, the delays we have in permitting. And all these things that they're saying is happening because of COVID, it's delay, and it's uh, ups in supply. So you want to first join a group so someone can give you the structure. I'm all about, like, I hate jumping out the window. I need everything written down. I love spreadsheets. I love seeing how everything is going to flow. So if you join some groups or you get a ment mentor, they'll help you write that down. So when you do see a deal, you can recognize that it actually is a deal, and then you can go for it. But on, you cannot lose flipping a house in Atlanta. I'm glad, I'm glad she, she asked that question because I want to make sure that that is clarified. So the eight cities that I mentioned, um, they're good for long-term buy and hold. I threw those cities out there as, you know, just specifically as uh, cities that you want to go into, buy a property, possibly renovate it, cosmetic renovate it, and then rent it. Um, but flipping, I mean, you know, Atlanta's a Atlanta's a hot market for that. I mean, yes. you've, you know, you, you've got so many different cities where um, you can get a substantial amount of appreciation and 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 make you know make some. I think some we good have capital. a responsibility to explain. I, okay, so a cash flow is like when I, I was just in Chicago, and I had one of the agents. She took me out. Shout out to Rashana Scott. Shout she took to me out to her flip. So she got a. Uh, $400,000, she got actually got a house, right? A full-on duplex, two, they call it a two-bed, two-flat. Yeah. I don't know why it's two-flat, but it's basically two, two homes for $100,000. They're putting in like $75,000, and she's going to sell it for $400,000. Now, this is a two-flat in Chicago. It's two-bedroom, so they're selling it to someone that wants to cash flow. So cash flow is like I stay in this one side, and I get the, that's house hacking, and someone else pays the rent, or I just buy it, and both of you guys are paying me rent, and that's cash flow. Atlanta, we don't have multifamily in that price point. Definitely not those type of opportunities. So when not, we say we're not good for cash flow, we're talking about monthly rents. We're talking about duplexes, multifamily. But we are great to buy you a house. <laughs> fix it, flip it, put it back on the market and make your money. And then you can sell it to someone that may want to house hack their basement, house hack a room. You know, we just had, you know, we had a guest on a previous episode. He was like, listen, he stayed in his garage. So you can take it to the next yeah, level. Absolutely. But when we talk about cash flow, most people are looking at cash flow. She has opportunities in Chicago where I can get me a, a, a quadruplex for a half million. 
They don't have that here. And I'm talking maybe 75000 on a cosmetic flip, which is like we're talking floors. We're talking, you know, appliances. We're talking paint. We're not talking anything major. So those are cash flow cities, multifamily housing. So don't get, don't, don't get discouraged. It's two different things. People that are doing that, they're buying it. They're holding it forever. See, she's the land of her Lord. She's like, I'm a landlord. Send me the money any way you want to send it. When you buy a house, you want to flip it. You buy it, you put the money into it, you put it on the market, you sell it, get your money out. Hopefully, we can use a 1031 exchange. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> and you can get put that money that into another property and rinse, repeat, and do it over and over again. So every market has their ups and downs. I just be liking to make it clear. Atlanta is just not the cash flow market because we do not have multifamily opportunities like that. So look, this was a great episode. Aisha, Dope. thank you for... Um, Flying on the red eye. Right. right. That's dope, first of all. We're taking you to dinner tonight until you're kidnapped. Exactly. FYI. <laughs> you with FYI. Us. You with us tonight. Uh, all right. We're going to drink some more wine and have a good time. Good. But um, thank you for coming out. Please tell everybody how to follow you one more time. Mud to millions. Tell them how to buy the book, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. So I'm on uh, Instagram and Twitter at Aisha Selden all together. A-Y-E-S-H-A. S-E-L-D-E-N, and uh, my book, Mud, Two Millions, uh, and the two is the number two, is on Amazon. Um, or you can go to mudtomillions.com and buy a digital copy and read it immediately. Dope, dope, man. So Thank you all sure for having me. Make sure y'all tap in with Aisha. Um, this has been a great episode. Next week episode, we'll talk about those eight cities, and we'll get a little yeah, bit let's, more. Let's go a little deeper dive yeah, into those go, eight cities go a to invest deeper dive, in cash flow. Give, give some numbers and, and some research on it, and, and hopefully you guys learn a lot from that, and hopefully you guys execute. So, again, my name is Matt Garland, NMLS number 58700, better known as MG the Mortgage Guy. And my name is Kiana Watson, Atlanta real estate broker here. Extraordinaire. <laughs> License number 317576. Thank you guys for tuning in to the Rants and Gym Show. Peace. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. 
Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.